Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to a very special, massive episode of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's a podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl, take you, the listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it's only the highest, most purest, most essential, most sensual, most sexual, most physical, most spiritual, most everything you all form of being possible, achieved only by watching every film the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage, has ever made. Now, as you may have seen from the title, again, it's a very special episode of the podcast this week. Uh, Something I've been teasing on the socials for the past uh, week, two weeks or so, uh, because for this episode, um, a very special, the unbearable weight of massive talent tie-in, I had the uh, very ridiculous but incredible opportunity to be part of the press junket for this new Nick Cage movie. And I had uh, about 20 minutes to have a little uh, conversation with the co-writers and director, co-writer Kevin Etten, and co-writer and director Tom Gormican. Um, so in the course of this, um, we got to, as you'll hear at the start of the episode, get my fandom out of the way just a little bit. Uh, we got to talk about some of the Nicolas Cage references in this movie, how they pitched this to the studios, uh, touching upon uh, the idea of Nick Cage and how they wrote him throughout this movie, Pedro Pascal, of course, and asking, obviously, what is their favourite Nicolas Cage movie, amongst some other things as well. Uh, First time I've ever been part of a press junket, so this was... Uh, again, very, very odd, still hasn't quite sunk in. Um, was incredibly nervous going into this. I hope he doesn't show too much in the episode, but uh, Kevin and Tom were absolutely delightful to speak to. And who knows, hopefully may get the opportunity to speak to them in the future. Who knows, wishful thinking. Um, but I hope you have fun listening to the episode. We'll get into it, as there's only about 20 minutes in there. I hope you have as much fun listening as I had making this one, and uh, we'll do things a little bit differently this week as well, whilst we're on the topic, and we'll check back in at the end once the interview's all said and done. So for now, let's jump into it. This is my interview with Kevin Etten and Tom Gormican of The Imparable Weight of Massive Tides. Enjoy. Done. All right. How are you? (laughs) I'm so well. How are you both? good thank you doing well thanks for having us uh this is the absolute greatest day of my life i just want to put <laughs> that out there right now this is in, this is incredible um i've got to go downstairs and tell that my other half of like it doesn't go better than this i'm 30 years old what a rush <laughs> is this the last episode of the cage rage podcast can you we gotta have nick on i guess and then that'll be the that'll be the... He, he is the white whale of the podcast yeah. he he's i've dubbed him the, the, the golden hog of hollywood because he's just 
magical. <laughs> a 24-carat man. What more could you want? Twenty-four-carat <laughs> um, man. No one would like that more than him. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I get to tell him one day, but my fear is kind of that I, I speak to Nick Cage and I'm like, I have a podcast dedicated to your filmography, and he'll just go, stop. Um, <laughs> but, no, he'll, he'll love it, I'm sure. <laughs> Amazing. It's uh, obviously a, a great honour to have you here. Um, so with, with this podcast, I, I dub it the uh, my, my journey to true cage nirvana. Um, as a, <laughs> the ultimate form of being is to, um, I think, watch every movie that Nicolas Cage has ever made, and then I can get a better idea of the man himself. And I consider it a great honour to be to joined by yourselves, the brain and the penultimate brain, <laughs> uh, behind the unbearable weight of massive talent, uh, co-writer Kevin Etting, co-writer and director Tom Gormican. Now, I had the privilege of seeing massive talent last week, uh, and it, it is what I will call the perfect movie. Now, I'll be happy to stop the interview here. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if that's enough. We'll take it. Yeah, I just want to say like we it. love you. <laughs> Yes, yes, I did it. I've done it. Um, I loved every second of it. Um, it felt like it was a tailor-made film for someone like me. Great reaction in the room as well. Coming out of South by Southwest and seeing the reactions so far have been amazing. Um, how does it feel for you yourselves to have such a positive response uh, so far to this? I mean, it, feel, it feels great. It's sort of surreal to us to have it out there. And, you know, when we were making it, it was sort of peak pandemic, pre-vaccine, and it was a bit of a dark time. And we always thought there's this just underlying thread of like positivity running through this project. And I, I think in the end that came across. So, so it's really nice to have people sort of recognize that and have a fun time watching it. And and uh, and really feel that sort of positive thing that's inherent in the uh, in the way we constructed it. Yeah, I, I think also that what's what's cool is that you know when we first started <clears throat> talking about the project, I think the thing that kind of kept us going was this feeling we had that you know that Tom and I shared of you have such a or we had such a deep love for Nick and his work and his style and his, you know, kind of just, I'm going and doing my own thing attitude. And we felt like, okay, we have this, we have this love. And then we started talking to friends and family and, you know, we discovered, okay, that they, they have that feeling too. And so that kind of pushed us forward. And then now to kind of see it on a, on a bigger scale is, um, is, is obviously really cool. Yeah, there's more people like us, and you included, <laughs> that have a deep love for the cage, you know? <laughs> it's always interesting when I kind of talk to people about my my love for the cage. Now, I don't know if you guys have had this as well. Um, and I, first, I suppose especially when you're pitching this movie and you're going to the studios, because it is an unorthodox project. Again, it's a brilliant project, and Hollywood should stop. It's been completed. Uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't get better than this. Uh, sometimes people ask me, like, is is this like, like an ironic thing that you've you've got going on here? Did did you ever find this? Did you ever get any um, uh, pushback from the studios to say this is a Nick Cage Nick Cage movie? What are your thoughts? Well, we had we we um we actually wrote the entire script on spec, and 
you know, so it was important to us to not have it feel like it was being done ironically. There had to be like a level of, I think, sort of sincerity to the project, that it was reverent, that it was a celebration of Nick's work rather than something that felt like satirical or was making fun of Nick, because that type of project is more of a sketch and it would fall apart completely. And it wasn't how we actually felt about him and his body of work. So, you know, the, the studio was able to read it and conceptualize what we were doing from the, from the, from the moments, uh, you know, we had finished this and we thought, <clears throat> you know, like they got it. We didn't get pushback in that, in that regard. They were on board with the type of movie that we were trying to make from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, when we were selling it or once we had kind of written the screenplay and had gotten some interest from various studios, I will say that they weirdly, and, and this is, goes back to what I was just saying, they all had that same, you know, love and uh, awe and respect for Nick and, and totally were like, oh man, yes, a movie that's just celebrating him. Like, I think we met with three or four studios and all of them had the same thing of like, this is a, this is a celebration. This is, we don't want to make fun in any way. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would never cut off the brain of the penultimate brain. You speak as long <laughs> as you need to. Uh, my, my champions and kings. Um, I, I, I think... I think definitely something I felt in watching this um, is that it was, as you described, a love letter to Nicolas Cage. It came across with sincerity. Um, it came across with a certain sweetness as well. Um, and as you've touched upon there, you know, that was always the aim in writing it. Um, something that I've sort of encountered across doing the podcast and um, wondered if, if any elements of this came into the writing. Nick is, of course shall we say, very celebrated on the internet. He's, he's quite um, a big part of the meme culture. Um, when you were sort of writing this, um, was there a specific idea of Cage that you wanted to portray? Did you feel any need to sort of lean into, um, I guess, the meme culture around him as well? Well, I think, you know, part of the reason we wanted to do this, and this was in a letter that we wrote, Nick, to get him to do the project, was he's done all of these various, like, genres of film equally well, right? And you, you take movies like, you know, you've got Moonstruck, and you've got Raising Arizona, and you've got Con Air and Face Off, and then you get Adaptation, and, you know, and, and Mandy, and they're all different genres. And we said, you have the opportunity, if we can pull this off, to do all of these things, you know, in, in one film, right? It can show the breadth and versatility of Nick as an actor. And I think within that, there are moments where Nick does what Nick does and goes, you know, as he would call it, and we started calling it full cage. And full <laughs> cage is often the thing that gets memefied. So it was like the, yeah. the, the project would inherently move in that direction just because of who he is. And in a project about him, there were more opportunities to go, you know, full cage. But I will say that the version that we had kind of asked for from him was, you know, the film obviously is way more kind of grounded, naturalistic performance. And, and Tom had talked to him a lot about wanting him to channel his most kind of neurotic, uh, doubt-filled, anxiety-ridden uh, Nick Cage. That was kind of the, the version, the persona that we wanted. Um, but with Nick, you know, and which he, I think, delivers in a, in a really awesome way. But what you still get with Nick is, and what's so cool is like, he's giving a pretty 
grounded, natural performance, but there's still these, like, I would say, memeifiable moments. Like, I'll give you an example of, of one. It's, <clears throat> they're on, um, he and Pedro have just come up to the cliffs and Pedro's trying to get him to play act. And, and Nick is like, why are, you know, what, 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 what are you doing? Why have you taken me up to the, the top of the cliffs here? And he goes, <laughs> Nick goes, you brought me out on like a wild goose chase. <laughs> it's just this, like, crazy genius read of a line that, you know, we couldn't have, I don't think we could have directed him or given him the note to do that. He just had that and brought it forth and it like, you know, and did it every single time. Yeah. It's intentional. Like he knows <laughs> what people want of cage, you know? <laughs> and like, and so that was always the fun part of this, finding out what he was willing to do, what he wanted to do. And, you know, his, his fun ideas. I think that's always the wonderful thing about Cage. And and again, as you both expertly put, there's he's done practically every genre at this point. I think we're just still waiting on Nicholas Cage, the musical. Um, so as and when Massive Talent 2 comes out, I'll be waiting, gentlemen. Um, if, <laughs> if there's going to be a Cage musical, that would be fantastic. Uh, now, throughout, <laughs> throughout the film, um, I'll take a writer's credit, don't worry about it. Um, now, throughout the film, there's a number of nods to other incredible Cage movies. Um, as you said, we've got Mandy, we've got Con Air, we've got Face Off. Um, one of the nods that I was surprised to see was uh, an act- <laughs> a very significant and touching shout-out to 1994's Guarding Tess. Um <laughs> It really stuck with me. Like Captain Craze Mandolin gets a shout out because Cage is like, yeah, that is underrated. Um, <laughs> but um, don't worry about it, guys. It's what I do. Um, what was, why, how did Guarding Test become so important to the character of Javi? Yeah, it was, it's just, first of all, it's a great film and it's sort of an underrated Nick classic and Sharon McLean's phenomenal, but we were looking for something that fit, you know, they, they couldn't just be references. They had to fit sort of where we were at in the narrative. And at that point, Nick's allegiances are kind of bifurcated. And, and uh, we thought after he's just betrayed his friend, could we have this moment where Javi is like, does the sweetest thing about how Nicolas Cage is connecting with his father and it should compounds this feeling of betrayal. You know, it's like, <laughs> the thing, like just when you've done this awful thing to your friend, you know, and stolen his property, you, you know, you get, you get the sweetest possible thing we could think of. And so, you know, that's part of it. Like how, how do they, how does each particular film work into the, the where we were at in our narrative? Now on the back of that as well, um, I, I have to ask this question because um, when I went into the movie, I had an idea of what to expect. I thought, you know, for a Cage fan like me, it's going to be um, like that Leonardo DiCaprio me you know, pointing and like, I get that one, I get that one, I get that one. <laughs> what I could not have expected, gentlemen, though, was the adoration and shout outs for Paddington 2. Um, <laughs> where where did the love for Paddington? I mean, it's a great movie, but where did the love for Paddington Two come in? Because in the in the cinema, um, I think every time Paddington got mentioned, it got a huge reception, a huge laugh, um, rightfully so. But where where did Paddington Two come into the, the the process of writing the script? I mean, it's an incredible film. I mean, part of this movie is just the celebration of making movies, right? Not just of Cage, of like, and, you know, Nick and Pedro ended up being cinephiles. Kevin and I are such huge fans of like all different genres of film. So part of that celebration was like, 
shouting out some other stuff that they that they love you know <laughs> and uh the cabinet of dr caligari and 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 paddington too it's i mean it's a perfect movie you have to admit it but it, it, i mean it is like paddington 2 is kind of equivalent to nick and that when you find that it comes up in a conversation and it's like universally beloved you know so it's you just can't not smile and, and watch it i will say that i had a a friend who had called me and who who saw it um and, and he did say to me like i i cried through the entire thing and it made me want to be a better man which we <laughs> used in the film so that is that is real life <laughs> Man, life imitating art right there. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Nick and Pedro share a number of emotional scenes throughout the film. And as much as this is a Nicolas Cage movie, um, I think Pedro Pascal was absolutely wonderful in this. Um, I felt in numerous times because of his love for Cage and the way he acted around him, I kind of felt like if I ever met Nick, I feel like this is how I would act as well just like oh, I, don't, I don't want to bother you I don't want to bother you um and, and God, the, I would like to see that I would like point. to see you meet Nick point, Cage, yeah. so if you're ever talking to him we need to be there I want to see this go down we need to make this happen yeah let's make this happen if, if you want to see a 30 year old man react like a teenage girl would to the Beatles in the 60s um, I do I let uh, my people but talk to your people i am also <laughs> my people um in in the writing of javi um again like i said it felt like i was living vicariously through him was there any part of his character that you felt that you'd almost wrote yourselves into yeah i think he was sort of our proxy he was the guy that we could channel our fandom through and 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 you know when we met with pedro to 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 do the film we were thinking about who we were going to cast and we sat down and he was like, I, I don't even care if you put me in this film. I want to do it, but I just need to talk to you about Nicolas Cage. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and we felt like we were talking to our like third writing partner where this guy was just, he just loved him and, and uh, was like, I, he's an inspiration for some of my acting and this whole stuff. And so we just, we just really got into it, Pedro. And, and we started to say, okay, that is the guy. And people haven't seen that version of Pedro Pascal, who's like sweet, sort of super fan. And uh, so we started to write Javi sort of to, to, to Pedro. It, it, it just the, the, the absolute sweetness that comes across. And I was talking to um, a fellow Cage podcast after the screening, and we were kind of both like, God, I want a bromance like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get into a car chase and take it. Uh, I, I mean, through Cage Podcast, we started a bit of a bromance. I'm planning to take acid together. Thanks for the inspiration. <laughs> um, so it was, it was just wonderful to see sort of the relationship throughout there as well. Um, also, in terms of relationships, I love the character of Nikki. And I think for the Cage historian, um, Nikki, I think it's fair to say, was based on an old Terry Wogan interview from the 90s. Um, that interview is like 30 years old. Uh, and so how did that sort of stick with you all this time? I think that's the basis of this character that we need. Well, we were thinking about a version of Nick and we were trying to land on something that was both technically possible from a de-aging standpoint that wouldn't be too difficult to achieve. But also Nick came to us and was like, have you watched this interview? And I said, of course we've watched that interview. And he said, well, I just find that guy so obnoxious. <laughs> He's like, I'd love to play him again and make him the sort of the villain in the film. And so 
you know, part of it was seeing what Nick, you know, always within this project, what he was comfortable doing and what he found the most interesting. And, uh, and, and that's where his head was. And so we, we, we chose that as the version of Nicky. It's, uh, it was amazing to see and uh, appreciate we're sort of coming towards the end. And again, thank you guys so much for your time. When you win all the awards, I'll be there crying and pumping my fist. <laughs> um, I think to sort of end here, a question that always causes a debate online. Um, what is the best Nicolas Cage movie? I don't even think we'd agree on that. I mean, I, 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 I it's neck and neck for me. It's raising Arizona or adaptation for me. And my my favorites, and these are just gut favorites, are The Rock because I can't I can't ever turn it off if it's on. And then Moonstruck is is one that sticks out um, as a movie I just love. What about you? Um. The, the hack answer, but also my honest answer, I think at this point is just to say, massive talent, gentlemen. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. What an emotional ending. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. Um, the music rises and... <laughs> I'm raised above the cage fans. The golden hog of Hollywood greets me at the pearly gates of Hollywood to say, you've completed it, Daryl. You've done it. Um, on... on on that note, um, as we come to the end of our time, um, Kevin Etten, Tom Gormican, thank you for giving us the gift of Cage yet again. This has been an absolute massive honour. Yes, nailed it. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, Enjoy the rest of your interviews. It's been uh, my pleasure and privilege. Thank you so much and take care. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thank yeah. you. Keep up Great the good work. And there you have it. There is my interview with Kevin Etten and Tom Gormican. Uh, again, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, please feel free to give this episode um, a, a like, a retweet, a share, a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser. Uh, leave a star rating on Spotify. It all helps the show grow tremendously, helps more people find it, helps more people join the journey to true Cage Nirvana, and it's massively, no pun intended, appreciated as well. Uh, with that said, there are a few shout-outs I should really be giving out as well. First and foremost to Cat Hughes, uh, who hooked your boy up with the uh, appropriate links and contacts to get the ball rolling um, so that I could reach out and be a part of this strange, weird road that it's taken me down for massive talent. Uh, Kat Hughes joined me to talk about Inconceivable a few episodes back. So Kat, uh, thank you so, so much for being so kind and helping out. It's um, hugely, hugely appreciated. Secondly, um, a big old shout out to Petros Platsilovas from the Caged In podcast, Caged In Couple of Connections, for not just being sort of the, uh, uh, the road buddy for the screening of Massive Talent as well, but for also, uh, prior to this press junket interview, calling me up and giving me a pep talk as well. Um, it was very, very needed, very appreciated. And whilst we're on the subject of the Caged In podcast as well, he was also part of the press junkets, and during this pep talk, we had a little debrief between ourselves um, to try and have as little crossover in our questions as well so please do go and check out 
his interview with Kevin and Tom as well. And between the two of us, you've got roughly 40 minutes of a pure golden hogged interview there as well. Um, and last but not least, of course, thank you. And another massive shout out to the good folk of Lionsgate who were um, kind enough or silly enough to allow a uh, strange old Nicolas Cage podcast the opportunity to be part of this press junket. So um, to everyone who I spoke and dealt with during numerous, numerous email chains, thank you. It means more than you will know. Uh, with that said, um, I think all that's left to say is one, go and see The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and support that movie. It's... Uh, so much fun it's so sweet so funny um it's such a love letter to nicholas cage and if you like pedro pascal i think you're going to enjoy it as well um such fun i think it's going to be one of the films of 2022 all bias aside so go and check it out and support it um and again give us a, a, a little looky loo on all the uh the podcast platforms give a rating if you so please uh follow me on the socials, I'm on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast. I'm on Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. I am now as well on TikTok as well. I had to shudder a little bit as a 30-year-old man. You can find me at Cage Rage Podcast on TikTok, uh, posting some Nicolas Cage clips and such as well. I have no idea how it works. I feel very old, but uh, join me in all the socials and we'll have a bit of fun. Um, but with that all said and done, we return to our regularly scheduled programming for the next episode. Again, thank you so much to take the time for listening. And as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you. Take care and goodbye. Goodbye.